Nailed it. It's okay. I like being on my toes. Uh, Now reading from John chapter 17. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me, because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. All right, amen. I was wondering how obscure Josh was going to get in the uh, categories of people who stand. Stand up if you've ever been in a cafeteria-style meal situation with Danny DeVito. Okay, that's no one, all right? Um, So good to see all of you. You look great. This is a beautiful space. I can't believe we're here. It just seems uh, a little surreal, but... um, it's just beautiful to sing in the same space, to, to pray in the same space, and uh, we're going to take the next couple of weeks and just try to look at the crucial, central, uh, most important vision of the life of our, of our church together. And so, but right before we look at this kind of, I think, incredible moment in the life of, of prayer, the, the life of Jesus' prayer, which is an interesting thing to think about. Uh, what it means for, for our, our life and our church. I, I want to pray really quickly for a church that's starting basically right now in Chicago. Um, I, I went to a pastor's gathering in San Diego at the first of the month, and I met a, uh, a young pastor named Chris Griffith, and uh, he and his wife Sarah, this is them, uh, are, live in Chicago, and uh, we got to pray for them the last day of this gathering as they're launching a new church today. It's starting basically right now. Um, they're planting Rhythm Church in Chicago, and uh, we experienced a real sort of kinship and bond with them. And on the last day, we were praying for them. I just really felt prompted by the Holy Spirit that we were have to, supposed to have some generous part in supporting um, this new church plant in Chicago. So we're going to be giving some to them, but I also want us to pray for them. So um, if you just want to extend a hand uh, sort of in, 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 in faith, we're just going to pray uh, for Sarah and Chris and for Rhythm Church. Heavenly Father, what an incredible thing. You promised to um, make your presence known through your church. And uh, God, you taught us to pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. In the, in the name of Jesus, I pray as this church rhythm is, is being planted in Chicago today, I pray pour out blessing on Chris and Sarah and their team and everyone who comes through the doors. God, I pray it would be an experience of your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. God, in Chicago as it is in heaven, I pray they would experience your nearness, your love, the power of the gospel, the power of Jesus' love would be clearly known. I pray you'd fill them with your Holy Spirit. I pray you'd give them everything that they need physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially. God, on every level, would you just care for this new baby church? Would you you pour out your love? love, God. Would you give them the prophetic words they need to carry them into this year, into the next 10 years, God, I pray. Um, You would help them put down lasting roots in Christ in their neighborhood in Chicago. God, we know the the cities across our country have been suffering in different ways over the last couple of years in Chicago. We pray for an end to the gun violence, God. We pray uh, for your peace and justice to be done, God. We pray uh, for for rhythm to to join the network of of believers in that city uh, that is lifting up your name and crying out for peace and 
uh, and, and, and praying that your kingdom would come in Chicago as it is in heaven, Lord. So we join our faith together. I also just want to quickly throw uh, Genevieve Smith, our, uh, our, our pastor for students and families, in there. She's, she's speaking to um, about 300 Young Life leaders right now in Minnesota. Would you bless her and fill her with your spirit? Give her your words. And uh, we, we, we love you, and we just thank you for the opportunity to cry out to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll tell you a little bit more about Rhythm Church uh, at, at another time, but excited to be able to partner with them in some, in some way. So we just heard this section. I'm going to keep referring to it like it's back there. Um, we, we just heard this section of Jesus' prayer from John's gospel account. It's the prayer, actually, uh, from which our church got its name. This, this God, who is one... Uh, is yet also a trinity and is, is sharing this grace and glory, presence, union with us. And Jesus is saying that that's something that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have shared since before the foundation of the world. So the trinity is expressing grace in, in, in the world. This is where our, our, our church got its name. Um, and, and Jesus is praying this. It's an important time in the account of, of, John, of John's gospel. Uh, Jesus is praying this right before being arrested, right before going to the cross, and his heart is laid out. So God the Son praying to God the Father right before he goes and takes this massive step of sacrificial love for the redemption of the world. If ever a prayer was going to be answered. It stirs something in me to hear what's on Jesus' heart at exactly this moment. And, and it makes me actually wonder, what kind of framework do you have for God praying? Do you think about that very much? Like, um, what does it mean that God prays? <laughs> uh, you know, we always think about directing our prayer to God, but inside of the Trinity, there's this conversation, this relationship going on. It actually doesn't quite fit well with some of how we sometimes think or talk about prayer, like prayer is just this big God lever, and we pull it, and then the thing spins, and we get a yes or a no or a maybe, and, and that actually doesn't really fit with, with the concept of what we see going on in Jesus in these, in these crucial moments. Sometimes you'll hear someone ask a question like, does prayer work? And, and often right behind that in my head, I will think, does conversation work? You know, and, and, and the answer is uh, not always like I, like I plan. You know, prayer is a little bit more complicated than just pulling a lever and wondering if we're going to get what we're asking for. But I think that God the Son praying to God the Father speaks to the reality of a relational world. That relationship is woven into the very fabric and nature of the universe. Our very existence hinges on this reality. It speaks of a relational God and a relational world. So what is on the heart of God? What is on the heart of Jesus at this crucial moment? What is passing back and forth? Think about this. What's passing back and forth between the divine members of the Trinity right at this moment before the cross? And here's what it is. I want them to be with us. I want them to be with us. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. This is a section of the prayer. If you read all of John 17, there's a couple of sections. And this is a section where Jesus is widening his prayer uh, from his immediate disciples to those who would believe in his name. So down through the ages, all of those who would believe in the name of Jesus through the message that the apostles were going to carry to the known world, 
So in case you're wondering, that includes you. Just say your name quietly in your head. I want you to be with me where I am. That's what Jesus is saying. I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory that I have received. The aim of Jesus' hope at this one-of-a-kind moment in history is that the love of the Father that he has shared for him would be in us, that Jesus himself would be in us. If you don't hear anything else this morning, I want to say to you, it is impossible to overestimate the loving heart of God. We can only begin in the smallest way to fathom how much we are loved because we can actually barely conceive of a being so utterly free as God and yet directing and constraining all of his freedom towards us in love. God's very nature is love. And he has given that love to us. God wants to be with us. That's what, that's what God, when God prays, prays about. That's something really significant. This is the heart of Jesus' prayer. At the heart of the gospel is a God who wants union. I just want you, if you can, to take a deep breath, even in your mask. Check your breath. Think about that. It's been 20 years since 9-11. Think about that rationing up of the anxiety in our world, the scars of our city, the grief the hope. So it's like hard to get a sense of the scale of the things that have happened in the last 20 years, in the last two years. I spent some of yesterday just listening to stories and listening to recordings and listening to, to families give their accounts. And there's something about entering into the small personal moments of one story that help you have a, a scope for the whole. After, the COVID, after COVID and, and the pandemic and, and all the uncertainty, schools starting back as we just prayed, work ramping up, our political divisions, our thirst as a society for justice, our need for mercy, creation itself, itself seems to be groaning all over the world. We're seeing these natural disasters behind, over, underneath all of that is a God who wants to be with you. Soak that in for a moment. God wants to be with you. Breathe that in for a moment. So, if that's God's desire, if that's Jesus' prayer, then why don't we just live in an you know, uninterrupted, blissful state of communion with God? Why, why aren't we consciously living in what C.S. Lewis called the dance of the Trinity every day? Why is that not our normal reality? Is the reg- I'm asking, truly, many of you have been in church most of your life. Some of you are, 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 are much newer. But here's an important question. Is the, is the regular experience of the actual presence of God something we can expect? something we can hope for, something we can rely on. Is it so wholly unpredictable? We never know exactly which worship song it might come through in or which, which trip or, or which, which moment. It's, if that's the case, what happened to Jesus' prayer? That we would be with him, that we would experience this conscious union with God. Did the Father say no? I actually think we should, we should ask that question. I, I, I don't think so. 
I want to say a couple of things about this reality. This is something I feel very, very much, that like the massive promises, we just sang that the promises of God for us are yes and amen, and yet the gap between that reality and our actual experience is where so much of our disappointment with God, with one another, with life comes from. So I want to say a couple of things about this, and, and, and I want to give some scripture to back it up, and then I want, to, I, want to, I want to give you an invitation that I think flows right out of Jesus' prayer and the central heart of our church. So first of all, to say something about this gap between the heart of Jesus' prayer and the experience of many of us who don't always sense God to be, to be near. So here's where we're headed really, really quickly. And, and, and these aren't like just one word points, they're sentences, but I, I believe you guys are ready for this. So God's heart is for presence. God's heart is for presence with us, but the brokenness of the world and our own choices matter and factor in. We're going to say a little bit about that. God's manifest presence, this is the second thing, God's manifest presence is not always easy to handle. Sometimes we treat it like he's going to blow in like a gentle life coach and, and pat us on the back and give us a couple of encouragements and that's going to be it. But if the account of scriptures across the ages, it, the manifest presence of God is not always that easy to handle. The second is, or the third, last thing, is that God's heart is for presence, but Jesus prays this prayer on the way to the cross and that means something. That's really important. So really quickly, we're going to go through, go through those and then I'm going to give you an, an invitation. So God's heart is for presence with us, but the brokenness of the world, our own choices matter and factor in. Basically, God's heart is for presence, but there's trouble in the world and, and in us. Earlier in this prayer, uh, when Jesus is expressing his heart for, for union in this way, he still is praying for protection for people. He's acknowledging that there's an enemy out there. He's actually praying for his disciples to be protected from this enemy. He's acknowledging this reality of spiritual resistance. He also acknowledges, and this is really like relationally um, hard to get our minds around, he also acknowledges the fact that someone he deeply loves is about to betray him. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever had someone that you really love cut against you in such a deep way? Jesus longs for union with us. There's no way that, that you can miss that if you read this prayer. But there are other certain realities at play as well. So quickly, I want, I want to take you back to Genesis for just a moment. This Hebrew creation poem, there's lots of stuff we're not going to be able to say about this. But here's maybe the most familiar verses in, in the Torah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void, empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So there in the beginning, let's go in our imaginations if we can. It's a, it's a trippy thing. But in the beginning, there was, it was formless and void. The, the Hebrew there is tohu vavohu, and God's Spirit is hovering. God's Spirit is hovering over the deep. And there's this flash of creative energy that's unleashed. I want you to think about why. Why even bother? What is, is God up to in making this world? What is God's spirit fluttering for in the very beginning when we're introduced to the idea and reality of this creative God? The, poems, the poem seems to shout over and over again that this God is bursting with love, that God didn't create the world because God was lonely and God needed friends, that God created the world as an overflow of his love and, and to, to whatever Jesus is talking about, the love that they shared before the foundation of the world, that that was emanating and bursting out in the creativity of the creation moment. 
So we see this God who is a lavish artist who calls order out of chaos, but the whole poem bends to this reality. Come, let us make human beings in our image. At the center of the creation poem in Genesis, in the beginning of the Torah, God basically says, let's make people and hang out with them. Do you think of God in that way? The first day of life for human beings is what? You can talk through your mask, it's okay. Is Sabbath. All the creation stories going on, the first day that human beings experience is a day of rest and play with God. And remember, right, this is the first book of Torah. Sometimes in our, in our imagination, sometimes in our Bible debates, we forget that there wasn't like a, a, a floating prophet walking around in the mysterium of this, of this story, you know, playing out. Moses writes this after the slaves have come out uh, of Egypt. He, he writes this as part of this five books of, of, of God's story. So it's not like there's a, a flying prophet dictating all these moments of the creation story. This is a vision Moses was given that God wants for his people. And for the heart of this slave-battered, brick-making, just-out-of-Egypt people, the creation story says, with matter-of-factly, God made this world for you to be with him and to rest with him. Literally, the poem folds in on itself. Sabbath is the heart of Genesis 1, and the presence of God is the heart of Sabbath. That says something about why the world was made. Relationship, the overflow of love, God longing to be in union with you, you knowing intrinsically and experientially that your life is not complete if you're not woven together in relationship. There is this deep aching in our very existence because it is central to who we are and how we were made. But we know In that Genesis story, the first people walking with God in the cool of the evening quickly got interrupted. That relational communion quickly gets disrupted. A choice came to them. And it's in the middle of deception and temptation. But essentially, the choice was to be their own gods, to look for a life outside of God. So even in the beginning, there's a challenge to God's heart for union and presence. So I want you to think about that. Why don't you experience the uninterrupted presence of God? Part of the answer is, 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 is unfolding in this Genesis poem. The world is rippling out with this trouble. It's, it's, it's all the alternative stories. It's all the alternative philosophies. It's all the other gods. It's all the weights and evils. It's the 9-11s, yes, but it's also the petty scandals and the lies and, and, and us, us cheating on one another or, or deceiving one another or, 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 or choosing selfishness in, in a quiet moment, right? It's a, it's, a cho- it's a choice we all have to make, the same awful choice that Adam and Eve made to reject God's offer or try to modify it by keeping ourselves at the center, That's your choice as well. God seems to be willing to give us that type of choice. It seems to be something connected to how love really works, that we have to be able to make choices that matter. So you can have a life, according to God, from the beginning to the end, you can have a life in God's presence, or you can make a life of ignoring it or running from it. So basically, if you don't want anything to do with God, that's a choice God will let you make. All right, 
We covered that. We feeling good? Everyone doing all right? I can't see behind the mask, but I'm, I'm assuming you're tracking with me a thousand percent. Okay, so God's heart is for presence, but there's, there's trouble in the world and with us. The second thing is God's manifest presence is not always easy to handle. And this is a little bit challenging because we have sort of Twitterized God down to this very controllable life coach type of person who always shows up exactly when we want and, and, and always gives us exactly what we want, but that doesn't seem to be the testimony of the scripture over and over again. In Genesis 1, we see Adam and Eve hiding from God after they had given into this deception and temptation and gone their own way. They want to avoid God's presence. And God actually seems to think that's not a bad idea. He makes a covering for them and he closes off the sanctuary where they used to hang out. He doesn't let them come back and pretend like everything is normal. There's something incompatible about the brokenness that is woven into Adam and Eve's hearts at this point and the reality of God's presence. Later in the story, Israel is guided by the presence of God. But if you read Torah, if you read the Exodus story, it is a complicated relationship. God guides them by fire and a cloud. God shakes the mountain as he comes to meet with Moses. And the people are like, you go talk to him. We don't want anything to do with with whatever's happening here. It's clear that God is powerful and majestic, but who can go near? So we have this other wrinkle. God made us in his image but God is not like us, and something fundamental about how God is not like us makes it difficult for us to stand the fully realized presence of God. And so God gives, if you read the story, God gives very detailed instructions about how this nomadic people can live with his presence at the center of their community and survive. And some of them don't. Over and over again, the people learn that casual contact with Yahweh is intense. It can be severe. It's almost like radioactive in some way. The revealed presence of God seems to be incompatible with the fallen state of humanity. And I don't expect this to be the most popular point in my talk this morning, but I want you to know this is part of the reality we need to contend with. So the solution is this very detailed tabernacle, come this far and no further. You know, confess and, and, and pray and, and realize that our, our brokenness and sin results in death and then come further, right? And then there's this holy place in the center of the tabernacle. So we have the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence dwells. If you've been in church, you know, even a couple of Sundays, you've probably heard something about this, that God's presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go once atonement had been made. We're, we're, we're celebrating, uh, you know, those Jewish festivals right, right now, the festivals of atonement, the reality of this, this tabernacle and this ark. Super clear, specific instructions for how to build and operate this, this sort of tabernacle system so God could be in the presence of his people. Read the stories. They are wild. They're probably, some of them are why you don't want anything to do with the Old Testament. Because like, is this guy, like, is, is, is Old Testament God like crazy, mean, and scary? And the New Testament God is carrying lambs and incredibly loving. What is the difference between them? Read the stories. Israel is learning to live with the presence of God. I'm going to give you one place where that reality is summarized. So you, you, if, if you don't believe me, I bet you do. But ask now, this is Deuteronomy 4, ask now about the former days, long before your time. 
from the day God created human beings on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to make himself uh, one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great and awesome deeds like the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? Acknowledge and take, take to heart this day the Lord is God in heaven and above. The Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below there is no other. This same God who dwells in heaven is persistently attempting to make it so that people can interact with his presence on earth. The Lord is God in heaven. Why is this so hard for me to read? The Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. School starting soon. I'm going to get it. Don't worry, folks. So it was quite a feat for Israel to live with the presence of God in the center of their community. But many times they messed up. It's honestly like if you read the stories, and you get into this Torah message, it's like, why bother? This is too dangerous. This is too much. This is too many ordinances. This is too much protection. There's too many layers here. What is going on? Why does, honestly, why does God go through the effort? And why on earth do the people go through the effort? Except that this God is so full of love and so longs to be with his people, and so knows that the most full, blessed, joyful, purpose-filled, creative existence in the world is in deep relationship, God, with his people. God being holy, God being set apart, means that even though we're made in God's image, God is not like us, but we can be with God. And one day, the prophets kept insisting over and over again, one day God was going to make us able to stand his presence in a new way. There was going to be a new ark and a new tabernacle. And that's what brings us to Jesus making that happen. He's basically praying the heart of God. I, if you read the prayer, he says, I want their joy to be complete. Do you have a framework for God saying that over your life? I want whatever else is going on in your life, the good, the bad, the difficulties, all the things, I want your joy to be complete. I don't want there to be anything lacking in the fullness, the abundance, the joy of your life. And that comes through union with the presence of God. This is God's longing. This staggeringly beautiful prayer says this is central to the heart of God, to be with you. But the third thing, the last thing to mention is that God's heart is for presence, but Jesus prays this prayer on the way to the cross. The cross is the way that God deals with the incompatibility between us. So I ask the question, maybe should God change and somehow be less and veil his holiness and, and make it so we're not so incompatible? Should God change so that we can be in relationship and it's not the best solution? So should God ignore our, our sin, our rebellion, our going our own way so that we can be together? Just say, hey, that's not a big deal. Either one of those seem like plausible options in our mind, but they don't seem to be the solution God is after. On the cross, God expresses forever his holiness, that he is set apart that he is other, but he expresses it in his forever love, saying every single thing that keeps us apart, 
I am taking on myself. And he cries out on the cross, forgive them. My God, why have you forsaken me? So he never has to forsake you. He cries out on the cross, it is finished. So that anything preventing our embrace has been removed. All the scary stuff of those stories in Exodus about why you can't get near the revealed holiness, the manifest presence of God, Jesus deals with on the cross. I want to tell you this, Jesus didn't sweat blood in the Garden of Gethsemane just because the cross was going to be physically agonizing. He sweated blood because he was going to take on the full spiritual weight, the brunt of this rip between God's presence and the world, between us and God's revealed nature. He was going to take the pain of being left and rejected alone times a trillion trillion so we could be welcomed home. He was torn so that the veil that separated the holy place and the tabernacle could be torn so that you and I could come all the way in. I want to say the presence of God is the birthright of the gospel, and there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. If you want the presence of God in your life, you can have it because of the guarantee of what Jesus has done on the cross and the reality that he declared we are forgiven and it is finished. Jesus knows fully the challenge of living in God's presence and so he's praying for us, but then he goes and becomes the answer to his prayer. So what's changed? What's changed is summarized in the New Testament a bunch of times. I'm going to give it to you once from Hebrews because it just sends chills down my back. And I want you to know this is your inheritance, church. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Your birthright in the gospel of Jesus is the presence of God. You do not have to live your life alone. You do not have to live your life disconnected. And I'm saying that to you as individuals and I'm saying that to you as a central vision for Trinity Grace Church. Presence. Formation, love, everything we do and are flows out of being with God. It's the only way we make sense. Our life of formation in the way of Jesus comes not out of dis disconnected reflection from a distance, but intimate communion, and that is how we live in the way of love. Here's the thing. God wants to be with you, and God has made a way for you to be with him. Forgiveness, we major on forgiveness when we talk about God. God, forgive us. We have a confession moment, an assurance moment in every service we do to cleanse our hearts. Forgiveness is a massive part of our salvation, but it's not forgiveness just for the sake of forgiveness. So you and I can be clean and have some sort of clean slate and be morally upright in God's eyes. It's forgiveness for the sake of union. The veil is torn, not just so the way is open, it's so you can come all the way in and experience embrace. This makes up our salvation. Forgiveness and union is the gospel. Our church's vision 
forgiveness and union, the presence of God. Our greatest hope for your life is that you would come into the family of God and live in God's realized presence. Nothing would shape your life more beautifully, more fully. Nothing would make your joy more complete. Uh, Of course, I don't mean to say that it's all going to be goosebumps or that everything is going to go exactly like you want, but I do think you can be certain that God wants to be near you and wants to live with you. So, we're, we're, landing the, we're landing the plane here. We're, we're, we're wrapping up. So what are the barriers to this? I want to speak really honestly for just a moment because some of you are like, yes, I'm in. I want that. I want the presence of God. Now, why don't I experience it? And the answer, one answer is I don't know always. I don't know why it seems to vary in our experience of it. I don't know why sometimes it feels like God is so close and sometimes God is far away. I don't, I don't think it always has to be one of these reasons, but I want to give you a couple really, really quickly. One is that there may actually be sin or selfishness in your heart that are keeping you from experience the joy of God's presence. There may be things that you're clinging to and saying, I'm saying verbally that I want God, but I actually really, truly in practice want this other thing. Now, God sometimes will absolutely override that and show mercy anyway and give you a powerful sense of his presence even when you're totally wrapped up in a life of sin and selfishness. But our regular practices as sons and daughters is to let go of those things so that we can take hold of and make space for and ask for the presence of God. So one of the things is that we need to name these things that are our rivals to God and turn away from them and say, I want your presence. So if you're experiencing a barrier to God's presence in your life, one thing to do is this rhythm of confession and repentance, to name it and then to turn away from it. Another thing that might be a barrier. So one is our own sin and mistakes and failures. The other is just the weight of the world. Folks, and it is heavy, let's be honest. The pain of life may be making it hard for you to sense God's presence. But the testimony of Scripture, the testimony of the ages, the part of the reason that's so important for us to get together is to bounce our experience off of someone else who's a little further or a little you know, further on or further back in the situation and remind one another, be the priesthood of believers to one another and say that over and over again, the, the testimony is that God's presence holds up in trouble. I want to tell you, some of the most powerful moments in my life have been in hospitals right on the brink of the worst tragedies you can think of. My own family members, other people's family members being right there as the, as the machine says it's over, God's presence being overwhelming in that moment. I remember holding arms with my mom, tears streaming down our face, saying, on Christ the solid rock I stand, as, as she sees her marriage of 26 years ending because her husband is flatlining in the bed next to us. I want to tell you, the pain of the world, the brokenness of the world may make it difficult to sense the presence of God, but I want to tell you the testimony of the saints and the scriptures is that God pre- God's presence holds up in trouble. Jesus actually just before this prayer says, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So we have sin, we have the weight of the world and pain and grief, but also many of us have to admit just the distraction and the comfort of our modern life. Some of us have let other priorities press out our sense of need for God. We have no thirst because we're satiated with other things with comfort and entertainment, but I want to tell you, many of you know this from experience, your soul, the deepest part of you, 
was made for communion with God and nothing else will satisfy it in that same way. Nothing else will, as Jesus prays, make your joy complete. So let's confess, name, turn away from our sin. Let's call out to God in our trouble. Let's prioritize the presence of God in our actual schedules and in our actual bodies. This is what will make our church make sense. Without the presence of God, there are better ways for you to spend your day off of work. But God has promised to reveal his presence to the church in a unique way. This isn't something that you just get on your own in a profound, deep way that the last 18 months have exposed an ache in us. We need one another, and we need one another in presence. We need the presence of God. We need the presence of one another. Zoom is amazing. It it, it sustained us in so many ways. It's not quite enough. We need to be with one another. I walked into this worship night in San Diego. I was so skeptical. Some of the people that were leading this this event, I had long, complicated relationships with. I didn't need them to tell me how to have the community I was dreaming of. I didn't want to hear from God for them. I walked into the presence of God in a service I wasn't leading, which doesn't happen very often. And as soon as they sort of started the song, I've sung a bajillion times, tears streaming down my face, this utter release in my heart because there's nothing like the manifest presence of God. It's like healing on steroids. It just begins to to totally transform my attitude, my mentality, my reality. So I want to ask us as a church, whatever the next year holds, whatever the next week holds, whatever our life is, 12 years old today, church, come on. 12 years old. More than 12 years ago, we came when we were trying to have a Wednesday night prayer gathering to the Montauk Club to try to rent space. It's amazing to, to see, to come back in, in here. I want to ask you to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. Presence is the birthright of the gospel. There, there are no sons and daughters who are second-class citizens who God keeps at an arm's length. If you read that, uh, D- David, we were praying before the service, and David mentioned our first gathering. We talked about Exodus 33. God, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go up from here. I want to tell you, if you go back and you read the Torah, what the presence of God meant for the people of God, why it was worth all the trouble, is that his presence was their joy, His presence was their rest. His presence was their direction. His presence was their reward. How comforting is it that the thing God promises to give you, nothing can take away, not even death. The presence of God is your inheritance, your joy, your rest, your direction, your reward, and nothing can take that away from you. And church, the best for you is yet to come. You are speeding into your life. So here's how I want to close. I want to ask. It's one thing for this. I had a picture as I was um, praying with the pre-service team. I don't know how these things work at all. Someone should come up and tell me afterwards. But 3D printers, you guys know about? These are a thing now. So here's my limited conception of them. One is you have an idea, and it gets designed, and then this printer magically makes it a reality. 
It's one thing for us to have an idea and a vision of presence, formation, and love as our vision, but what will make it the experienced reality of our church? And I feel like God was saying in this little bizarre vision of a 3D printer that God wants to make this reality 3D in our lives. He wants to make it our lived experience that we experience his presence, us as a church and you as individuals. So I wanna ask you to commit. And here's the things I wanna ask you to commit. To, seek, to individually say, I will seek God's presence daily. I will seek God's presence daily. I think you probably know what that means, but for me, it's really important that I, I put, I prioritize time, uh, unhurried time to seek the presence of God in my schedule. Some of the most discord in my life comes when the central vision of my life doesn't match my actual calendar, my actual schedule. So plan in your day to seek the presence of God. The second thing I'll say about this, and this might feel unexpected, is involve your body. Commit to plan to be in the presence of God and involve your body. Do you know that like of the seven Hebrew words for praise in the scriptures, like Almost all of them involve a posture. Almost all of them involve either raising your hands or lowering yourself or opening your hands or dancing around or shouting. Many of us try just to meet with God only in moments where we're using our brain. I wanna invite you to use your body. Bring your whole self. Many of you are kinesthetic learners and you don't even know it. You need to learn in the presence of God to open your hands in surrender, to raise your hands in praise, to kneel down and, and asking to walk along with God. Some of you, one of my running with God is something that has become incredibly important to me in the last two years. Put it in your schedule and involve your body. I also wanna ask you to join us as a church in hosting the presence of God. The most important thing we do as a church is host the presence of God. Here's a couple of spaces where you can connect with that. At 9.45 before our gatherings, every single one of you are invited to come and cry out to God for his presence to be made known in our gatherings. I wanna say as many of you as can make it, come at 9.45 and let's pray together in pre-service prayer. Also, throughout the week, we have spaces, and we're going to be talking about this a ton this fall. We have spaces and more spaces are being made for us to pray together. Morning women's gatherings, morning men's gatherings, groups getting together uh, to, 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 to cry out to God, to seek his presence. Will you commit to seek God's presence in your daily life? Will you help us as a church host the presence of God? This is our central vision as a church, to be with him, because it's God's central vision of the world to be with you. Here's what I want to do. We don't do this very often. I'm going to give you a moment to sense if the Holy Spirit is prompting you. And if you want to say, I want to make a commitment this fall to seek the presence of God in my daily life and to help this church host the presence of God, I'm going to give you just a moment, and then I'm going to ask you to stand, and I just want to pray for you that God would empower us in seeking the presence of God. So, Heavenly Father, I pray you would move by the power of your Spirit right now. I pray that you would make it clear to each person that, needs, that, 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 that you're prompting to make a commitment to your presence today, God. The way you have made a commitment to us and to draw us near. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Church, if, if God has been prompting you and you sense, I want to make a commitment today and this fall to seek the presence of God in my daily life, I want to invite you to stand right now where you are, and I'm just going to pray for you.
If you're sitting down, your job is to extend a hand. If you feel like, I got this already, I want you to, and I, I don't mean that in a bad way, I want you to extend a hand to someone near you and just, and just pray with me for them. God, you see the faith in this room. You see the people's hearts who are saying, yes, I want to live as a son or daughter. I want to walk in step with you. I pray you would pour out your spirit on your church, God. Make good on these promises. I pray we would put seeking your presence in our schedule. And God, you would prevent things from disrupting you. God, give us, give us some space to learn. Give us some space to grow. I pray you would give us everything we need in your spirit to seek and experience your presence. I pray your presence would, would guide our lives. I pray you'd be in the very center. God, I pray for every person right now who's making a commitment that she, they would know that you have made even stronger a commitment back to them. You will meet with us, God. May we make the time. May we involve our bodies. May we meet with you. Meet with us now as we sing your praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's lift him up. Shouts of praise. Put your hands up. Move around if you need to. Let's involve our bodies. God is here. We're going to worship. We're going to receive the meal, and we're going to go out in peace.